The following is a production of PMA Magazine. Hi, welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of the PMA Podcast. In case you're new to PMA, and if you are, welcome. PMA stands for Positive Mental Attitude, and we focus on positive news about tremendous people doing great things for their communities or the world. PMA started as a print magazine in 2019, and you can learn more about us and our mission at our website, getthatpma.com. That's where you can get access to this podcast, check out our print magazine, and support us by picking up a t-shirt or some of our other merchandise. 100% of your money goes back into the magazine and helps us keep doing this, so we really appreciate it. And with that, let's jump right into Season 1, Episode 2, our interview with the unstoppable Donald Watts. Donald Watts had everything going for him as one of the best high school basketball players ever to come out of Washington State. He was being sought by the top college programs in the country, but Donald felt compelled to use his talent to help bolster a troubled program in his hometown at the University of Washington. As a Husky, Donald led the team to national prominence in two consecutive NCAA tournaments, including a trip to the Sweet 16 in 1998 when he was named the team MVP. But something wasn't right. Donald was suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome, a debilitating and complex disorder characterized by profound fatigue that isn't improved by rest. He continued to play in foreign leagues, but it became clear to Donald that he was going to need to pivot. Unwilling to forfeit his dreams, Donald began a new journey that allowed him to leverage his leadership skills, competitive spirit, and brilliant mind for the good of others. In this episode, we'll trace the roots of Donald's empathy and find out why giving back has always been a core part of everything he does. We'll take a walk in the shoes of not just a tremendous basketball player, but get to know the organization he's built from the ground up that uses basketball as a vehicle for personal growth and what he calls game changers for life. Please join me in welcoming to the PMA podcast, the unstoppable Donald Watts. Left. Connecticut leads by two. Washington has not had the lead at any point in this game. Connecticut down to one timeout and in the double bonus. And the arrow also favors Washington. The Huskies' biggest deficit was nine with just more than ten minutes remaining. Well, they got the two big guys in. They got to use them. Do a high-low. Otherwise, it jams it up unless they pick and roll with the bounce. They go for Luton on a double. Donald Watts. That's for the lead. How you doing this morning? Oh man, I'm I'm, I'm good. Uh, you just took me through a myriad of emotions. <laughs> I would imagine, and, I, and right up front, I want I want to just say that it probably is tough to come out and say, "Hey, this was something that I struggled with, and this is something that really was a tough part of my life." And everybody kind of wants to talk about that hardship, and it sort of becomes like this part of your story that you don't want to be all of your story, right? Absolutely. Um, but I mean, in a sense, um, I mean, one of the things that makes it easy to talk about is uh, when you talk about it and you realize that other people have struggles, sometimes they're not on the other side of them and that your story can give them inspiration to, to keep going. But it doesn't stop from going through the myriad of, of emotions. I'm a baller. 
right? Like one of the things with this lockdown is I don't have my two times a week to get in the league and get after it. You know, like I still, one of the things it, throughout this process and dealing with chronic fatigue syndrome and I eat right and I do the things that help me manage and live a, a, a high quality lifestyle. But, you know, throughout this process, I've always been like, man, two times a week, I'm as good as anybody in the world. You know, it's day four, five and six that like I couldn't beat my grandma. <laughs> and and so two times a week I, I get out there and I'm 43 years old. And, and I, sometimes I have young dudes talking trash to me because my stomach don't look the same as it used to. And uh, they make me mad. I can still dunk on them and still drain three or four threes in a row on them. And that really is something that I miss right now. It's it, it's a part of my sanity. Um uh, still being able to get out there myself uh, and compete and get after it. So you go through those emotions uh, when I hear it, um, when I hear about my, my my path and stuff like that. And it's almost like the highs, you know, the, the, the playing, the, you know, playing in Brazil, playing in the NCAA tournament, representing the school, uh, the lows, realizing that that wasn't going to be um, how I was going to uh, – you know, I wasn't going to play for the rest of my life and then retire off into the sunset without having to do anything else. And then like the real like groundedness and joy and happiness of being able to like turn that around and, and maybe not have the same highs that you have on the court, but to really get satisfaction, true satisfaction out of life, out of um, helping others excel in a way that's probably uh, more uh, tangible than I ever would have if I would have been able to live out my NBA dreams. So it's, it's just like, it's that roller coaster, man. Like and he, and he hearing it, you know, like, um, sitting in my little closet studio or whatever, hearing it, it takes me, you know, you still go, uh, back and forth through the myriad of emotions. I try to be very open with myself about how I feel about things so that I can work through those things and, and, and like still move towards, you know, goals and objectives that are going to satisfy me. So, when you try to be pure like that, you know, it, you, you feel it, right? Like, <laughs> so, um, but thank you for having me. I'm, I'm ready to do this. Turns, fires, he knocks it down. Let's go back a little bit because I want to talk about how you discovered this idea of empathy being valuable part of your life experience. What was your upbringing like and how did your parents or grandparents or other adults in your life influence you to become who you are today as this person who is always giving back? I would say my, my biggest influence, uh, obviously, is my father. Um, you know, he was the NBA's man of the year. He was the Seafair, you know, he's Grand Marshal for Seafair. He was, he, was, he was, what's the saying? I'm kind of a big deal. You know, I grew up with a guy that was kind of a big deal. Um, but you never saw him, I never saw him act like that. He knew that he was, but like one of the most frustrating things for me as a kid is we could never get anywhere on time because he would always stop, talk, sign autographs, you know, um, just, hey, slick, hey, slick. And he, he would make time for each and every body. And I'm like, hey, man, we got to get to practice. Hey, I'm hungry, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but I saw um, how people admired and, and, and looked up to him and how he treated people and not from the standpoint of, of being a celebrity, but from the standpoint of 
being able to uh, have an impact on people, like just who we bought coffee from and, you know, just to say something to make them smile and, and, and like to, to really be, you know, somebody who cared about people and how they were doing beyond like what people thought of him as his stature. Like he didn't, he didn't take that. I never saw him take that as like, man, I'm slick Watts. Like, you know, it was always like, nah, like, yeah, you, you, you look up to me, but I come, you know, like I come from struggle. I, I, I am you, you know? And, and, and like, he always says power to the people, you know, <laughs> like something that he says all the time. But my, my mom's father, my grandfather, he was a doctor in the inner city, inner city, uh, Dr. LeBaron Foster. And so he, he was caring for people like he saw people, so many people on a daily basis and, you know, helped out people when they didn't have insurance, all of that stuff. And so one of the things I've learned in in unwinding everything that I've gone through and some of the the mental health and 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 some of the mental like health therapy and stuff like that that I go to and seek out is that but so much of what you learn before you're 10 years old you just accept as the truth like you don't have the the ability or the opportunity to decipher from what's real and what's not real uh, before your brain forms. And so, so much of what we see, we're influenced by. And I was very fortunate to see giving people uh, that, um, you know, they, not perfect people, but people that definitely did the best that they could or knew how to for others. Uh, and then, so when I had my struggles and I had my hard times and, and, and going through chronic fatigue syndromes and, and being in, in the lows of the lows, um, never, never, you know, too destructive a low, but definitely had some destructive, you know, habits that before I self-destructed realized and, you know, really turned to other people's struggles and helping other people with their struggles as a, as a way of working through my struggles, right? Like realizing that, yeah, this is like not being able to play in the NBA is not the worst thing in the world, right? It's the, it might be the worst thing in the world to me, but I'm fortunate, right? And, and, and there are those that are less fortunate, um, than, than I am. And, and like, how can helping other people also help me work through what I'm working through? has always kind of been a little bit of, of not a little bit, but a lot of how I deal with things. It's how I'm dealing with this COVID situation and lockdown and stuff. I have overhead. I, you know, can't work with kids and uh, like, that's my lifeblood even more than the money I make doing it. Right. Like it's, it's like not being able to like not being able to pay the rent is one thing, but not being able to connect with young people and help them grow and knowing that they're sitting at home on a machine 10 hours a day. And like, that's the bigger struggle for me than the struggle that I'm going through. Right. And, and, uh, so that's just, it's become really the fabric of, of, of who I am. Turnaround floater. Nothing but cotton. Now your dad, like he's helped you with your programs, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yep. He's, he's helping with the programs you know, getting into the business of basketball camps and, and, and training um, is an extension of, of the way that I grew up. He, you know, he worked for the school district, but on the weekends we would be, you know, uh, you know, some people called me a res kid. We would be on the Indian reservations doing camps. We would be 
at the Bellevue Boys and Girls Club doing camps. He coached our teams. You know, I had my, my coaching tree as far as the people who coached me coming up are, is crazy. Uh, I've been coached by my father, Slick Watts, downtown Freddie Brown, uh, Dennis Johnson in the CBA, uh, Nate Tiny Archibald. I mean, it, it's like, <laughs> it's like I better give back to somebody with all this knowledge <laughs> that I got since I can only do a little bit with it. You know, it was like, Man, I, like I said, I've been really, really fortunate in, in terms of life, but also like super, super fortunate in terms of uh, my basketball experience and the people who I've had to sh- had the opportunity to share intimate basketball moments with, you know, on the court. Kobe Bryant, his first two weeks in L.A., I was his training partner. Magic Johnson, you know, like it just goes deep. And from each one of those guys, you know, what you learn about greatness is how simple um, it is. It's just consistent. You know, like there's not a whole lot of fancy stuff. It's just these guys lived on the court and, and mastered a thing or two, you know, and then that thing or two made it possible for them to make an impact on the on the globe. 20 footer away. Ah. When you were observing your dad doing all these really, really generous things, do you remember a time when he actually involved you or said, hey, Donald, this is why I'm doing this? Can you can you think of a time or can you flash back to a moment where it clicked inside of your brain where you were like, oh, I get it now? Uh, not... Not in particular, not quite that way. Um, living with slick watches can sometimes be, you know, pretty comical if you look back at it. And it was more like, come on, boy, shut up. <laughs> but uh, every now and then, th- the thing that it, it wasn't what he said to me, but what other people said to me about the impact that he had on their lives that made it sink, right? Um, and, you know, when you when you just, you know, somebody comes up to him and they're like crying about, you know, the time that he took with, you know, their 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 son at some point in their life and their son's passed from cancer. And that was one of the highlights of their lives. You know, the time that that um, he took, you know, when he was playing and, and at somebody's school. Right. And and that and that somebody was was. Uh, was teased for being obese or fat or whatever. And he like singled him out and gave him a hug and his t-shirt, you know what I mean? And, and like what that meant, uh, to him. Uh, one of the, <laughs> one of the, the, uh, the craziest, you know, like examples that uh, people can relate to is Duff, uh, McGagan. He, he, you know, said he was poor. He was teased. Uh, he was going to Roosevelt High. He worked a paper route, and he won a prize for his paper route. And that prize that he won was a Slick Watch T-shirt. And when he rocked that T-shirt to school, everybody was like, "Whoa, where'd you get that?" And he's like, "That was my first moment, a source of pride." You know, and that wasn't a a thing that like my dad directly did or related to, but it was a testament of of like who he was and the impact that he had. And when I hear Duff say that, I'm like, whoa, like that's what's, you know, that's what's up. And so it's, it's those moments that in life I continue to have and hear. And, you know, sometimes like we're on the radio and somebody calls and they're like, slick, you know, I was a little girl. And I remember when, you know, when we were kids and I'm like, uh Oh, here we go. And then they're like, you did the sweetest thing ever. You know, like, uh, and it's just, it's just like heartwarming. And growing up in a household, father and son, we're father and son, we fight, 
like we battle, you know what I mean? But growing up with somebody who's had an impact on uh, so many people's lives, some intentional, right? And then some unintentional, just by the way that you, you carry yourself, it definitely makes you think about what kind of imprint you want to leave on communities that you touch, on people that you touch, and, and on the world as a whole uh, when you leave here. Like it, it just, it becomes, you know, kind of an eight to think about that aspect. It's like, okay, you know, you're doing something that, you know, is, is not necessarily, you know, might not be, you know, the worst thing ever, but it's not appropriate to your, to your brand, you know, and you're, and you, you just think about it like, man, is this really what I, is this really, you know, the impression, is this really the impact? Is this really the imprint that I want to leave? Or do I want to be intentional about it? And my son rolls his eyes at me because I'm talking to him about the same, about the same thing. You know, people used to ask me, like, do you feel pressure to be following in his footsteps to be an NBA, you know, basketball player? And I didn't understand that. And I never really felt that pressure because it was something that I was super, super passionate about. I will say that at times I've, I, I, I'm, I feel fortunate to feel a pressure to be a positive influence in the community, to do positive things for myself and others in times when like, as a young person, there are other pressures, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, that's a pressure that I did feel. Um, and it was a good pressure, right? Like, Hey man, like, you, you know, your friends are going to go do that. Is that something that you can really, is that really in line with, with like your family, your family values, you know, people know you, they see you like, is that a risk you can take, you know? And it's like, no, nah, it's not. And then you redirect and refocus. As long as it's authentic, right? I mean, there's a piece, yeah. a piece of this where it's like authenticity becomes important at some point in everybody's life. And some people find it late and some people get it early and I like, of course, if it's not part of your authentic self, then that uh, that pressure becomes a burden. Right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. And but it doesn't sound like you were struggling with that at all. It sounds like that was part of your how you saw yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I saw it as a as a as a good, healthy pressure that, you know, I, I got in a little trouble, but it kept me out of a lot of trouble. <laughs> and, and, it, and, it, and at the end of the day, it, it created a, you know, it created who I am um, for my desire to, to make sure that I'm being responsible uh, for my family, for myself and for my community, you know? 360 and out. That's a good high percentage shot. You've got to have an answer when opportunity knocks at your door. People can go back and they can read a lot of stuff about your experience with chronic fatigue syndrome and I don't really want to rehash all of that. But when you were struggling and when you were like really being challenged by these things that were completely coming out of left field, that were totally unexpected, that were not part of your your dream at all, was positivity or thinking positively a, a part of your process uh, of getting through any of that stuff? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll kind of take you through the 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 mental you know process right for, for a long time you know i'm even playing basketball playing at the uw um i was really frustrated uh and i was really upset and really disappointed and i didn't know why because i was dealing with with chronic fatigue syndrome and my mindset was like man i used to be able to do anything i used to feel like i was superman out here and i want that feeling right like and everything i was i obsessed about feeling the way that i did when i felt indestructible <laughs> Like literally, you know, like dunk from the free throw line, I, you know, 
if I faced a physical challenge, right, like it, my body responded to it and it took me to a whole nother level that I didn't know that I had. It was like part of what I loved about it. Being able to play, but not being able to play at that level caused a great, great deal of frustration until I came up with a, 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 the mantra, do the best you can with what you have today so that tomorrow is better. And that was my energy management mantra, right? Because one of the things I would do is I would push as hard as I could and then I would have nothing for three or four days, right? Or I would not take the vitamins I knew I was supposed to take because I just wanted to be normal. I just wanted to be, you know? And so that was my, is my, you know, thing. It's like, okay, you know, what do you got today in the tank, right? Do the, do, just, just do the best that you can with what you have in the tank and make sure that you rest, make sure you leave some for tomorrow so that you can, that your energy grows, right? And forget about where you've been or, you know, whatever as the marker for success today, right? And let's just be better than yesterday, right? Let's be better. Let's do the best and, and be better and, and utilize your energy in a way that's sustainable for where you're at right now where you have sustainable growth right like and that was it that was the shift i remember in like at my positive thinking right it's like hey and and in that it's like be okay with better you know what i mean and it's like if you're not okay with getting better right like gradually then you're gonna get worse and, and i tell kids that when we train i tell you know people that hey try your best and were you better today than you were yesterday to be satisfied with that and come back and let's do it again and, and let's do it over and over and over again. And if we if we lose ourselves in that process, you'll look up and be far beyond where you thought you wanted to go. Dives to the rack with a two-fisted jam. Was that like? It sounds to me like you're you're almost like scaling things to make them more manageable and make them more reasonable. Was it a response to the overwhelming nature of what you were facing? Were you like? oh my God, this is so almost unbelievable what I'm dealing with. So my approach to this is to actually just take a piece of it and just do that and do that well, because to look at the whole thing or to concern myself with the whole thing can lead me down this like psychological rat hole that I don't want to be in. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I see so many of us, and I've even had a tendency to go through it with our current pandemic, you know, and, and, but I default to that, right? Like, it's like, okay, what can you do today? You know what I mean? Like, okay, you can't go get into the gym with 20 kids, you know what I mean? But what can you do? Like, how can you show up and serve? You know, how can you, and, you know, and honestly, I feel like the first shutdown, I, I managed pretty well, right? The second round, I, there's been some rough, rough times and rough days and, and, you know, weeks, but you know, I'm, I'm on the other side of that now and it's just defaulting to the things that I've gone through personally, uh, with my health, you know, have, have put me in a position where I can try to be a voice of reason and lead through this pandemic. Cause those things that I've had to say to myself, uh, cause of my physical, you know, my physical ailments or whatever are now the same things I'm saying to myself and to the people who are in my sphere and the people that'll listen about how we, how we get through this. You know I mean? They, they told us two weeks in April. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's like, Whoa. And then, 
and you, you understand from a leadership perspective and from being on teams and stuff like that, like why they said two weeks in April, they didn't know they knew it wasn't going to be two weeks, but if they would have told you it was going to be nine months, like nobody would have said, nobody would have stopped. <laughs> you know, like what? I'm not going to work for nine because we don't believe that we have the resilience to to do that, to sustain that. And unfortunately, like we've lost people along this process. Like we've lost businesses along this process. We've lost lives to COVID. We lost lives to suicide. We, lo- you know, like we've suffered great loss, but uh, more of us are here withstanding more than we thought we could. If you told us this is what we would have to go through during the start. And jams it down. Oh, that's it. See, now if you get in there, you need to finish it and finish it right. Like it's, it's unsustainable. Like you said, to like, think about nine months shutting down, uh, psychologically, it's almost unsustainable. (laughs) Right. Um, but it also almost kind of doesn't matter. Right. Like, like you can worry about what it's going to be like nine months from now, but there's from day to day, things change so quickly. So it, it almost doesn't really respect the nature of life to, to start worrying about something nine months from now, because you're ignoring the fact that when you do work today, you change yourself for tomorrow. Yes. Tomorrow you is going to approach things a lot differently than today you, if you do the work today, right? Absolutely. And even, and even beyond you, right? It's you and those who you influence, you know, and, and another you know, kind of saying, uh, we plant seeds, right? We want to just plant seeds, right? Just because you plant that seed doesn't mean that it's going to, you know, just cause you say it doesn't mean it's going to happen when you want it to happen in somebody else's heart or somebody else's action. Right. But with the right amount of sun, right amount of rain, it'll, it'll blossom. So that's one of the things that your words, your heart, like your actions, not looking for an immediate response, um, but knowing that you put that seed there for harvest, you know, and 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 trying to be intentional about it being a, a positive one. Back up and in. Do you feel like it's it's necessary for somebody to experience a struggle in order for them to become an effective leader of change? You know, uh, like Bob Marley used to say, like a lot of people have said it. It's like unless you know what it's like to to really suffer or unless you face a really, really difficult challenge, you're never going to know um, what it's going to take to like to be a success, to be a leader. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, and, and and struggle comes in, in so many different forms. I think oftentimes when when um, we talk about struggle, or you talk about things that you've been through or challenges that you face, it becomes like a, a competition. You know what I mean? Like it, you, you turn on the NBA draft, you turn on the NFL draft, and I almost get tired of them talking about like where these kids come from and what they've, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's a nice story, but literally <laughs> we all in some way, shape or form struggle to different degrees. And I believe that part of leading is being able to, at a minimum, understand that fact and then help people understand how they can overcome. You know what I mean? And then help people understand that there's real value in that. Um, I I feel like like one of the ways where there was a definite lack of leadership through this COVID and why, you know, we in the U S are in a much worse situation than a lot of other 
places is that the lack of acknowledgement that, hey, this is going to be a, a tough goal. The, the way that we minimize that tough goal is by X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Like just ignoring it and just focusing on the stock market and what you want to focus on or whatever. It just it leaves a huge void and, and it leaves people directionalists, you know, and it's like one of the one of the biggest disappointments for me with the the outgoing administration. I mean, I could just see it from having certain coaches or whatever, where it's like your plan was to put all the responsibility on the states. So you took no responsibility, you know, as an administration and then take responsibility for opening back up. And so that's the song you just kept singing while people are dying. You know, and it's, it's it's like, and so people could be struggling, people could be hurting or whatever. Where we have it now, there's no continuity. Like we are not as a country rowing the same direction in a pandemic. We're, we're not on the same page. So we're rudderless, we're directionless, right? And that's one of the biggest disappointments. And I can't say that, that the Trump administration or whatever, like hasn't struggled, but they definitely didn't lean on how they struggled and how they overcome it and become a beacon for the people of the, the country. Bingo. How do you know when you're succeeding? Like what, what do you look for in your own work to validate your effort? Hmm. That's tough. Um, I don't want to sound cliche, but the process I, I develop benchmarks or milestones and then my objective really is to get lost in the work. When I'm shooting, you know, like I have a target that I want to hit. I want to be able to hit 80% from everywhere doing everything. I know that that's the target. Then I develop a plan that I want to get to get there by a certain time period. And then I try to, in the workouts, forget about it all. Just get in the rhythm and just get in the flow and just get consumed. I have a belief in what I can accomplish and that's only based on the evidence I have right now and the work I've done this far. If my work is better and I lose myself in it, that timeline can be, it, you know, it's a highly likelihood that I was limiting myself as far as what I was capable of. You know what I mean? So in a sense, we set those goals and those milestones, but then I don't even want those to be limitations. You know what I mean? Like, I want those to be benchmarks. And then at the end of the day, like, if I get lost in my work, I just want to look up and see where we're at. Oh, I missed the mark, you know, or like, oh, we hit it good. Right. But the real, I guess, goal and objective for me is to get lost in the process. Nail it. And then when you're lost in it, to, when you finally poke your head up, you're like, oh, wait, we exceeded our goals. Yeah. Or even if it's like we, we were off, you know, like we are the wrong direction, like I still uh, you get you have anxiety about not being close as you want to be. But I still like value the full spirit that I put into trying. You know, what I mean, like I can't lose if I take that approach is how I feel. Right. Because I'm not looking at the news. I'm not on my you know, like I'm not getting taken away and whatever. I, I will learn a lot from being off course, right? I, like I'll learn what being too far right or too far left looks like. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in my data bank so that I 
can draw that straight line going forward. Like, I'm not even mad at that. You like, you feel what I'm saying? It's a, it's a weird thing, but like Jay-Z says yep, uh, in yep. one of his songs, loss is not a loss, it's a lesson. Appreciate the pain, it's a blessing. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, we're trying to win. Absolutely. You know, but even when we don't, if we take a fat L and because our game plan was wrong and we, we didn't have the, but we put our, just all our energy and spirit into it. It's like, okay, cool. We put our energy and spirit into it. Let's, that's what's up. Now let's work on this game plan. But if somewhere along that process, we're like, ah, and we start, you know, half stepping and you know then you like you don't get the full lesson learned that's what i learned from kobe bryant man my time with kobe was a young guy uh when i was when when i was working out with him but this dude failed like when we worked out he went so hard at it and failed so miserably at times i'm like this dude got drafted by the lakers <laughs> he'd be shooting air balls like just trying craziness but he was trying to maximize the data he got from that workout because he was going to go and work when we were all asleep, <laughs> you know? So even, even that air ball is super valuable if you approach it the right way. Throws down a little dynamite. In traffic, the wily, cagey, savvy veteran, like he's done a thousand times before. Thousand and one. Do you ever use or teach visualization as a part mm -hmm. of your process like imagine seeing the shot go in before before you take it a absolutely like i have the kids do uh alternate nostril breathing exercises like five minutes to show them how it resets the and balances the left and right brain i have them you know visualize uh, the outcome uh that they want before we make a plan uh to go get it I have a friend who invented, created this meditation device, uh, core meditation that I use on a daily basis. Um, and they have visualizations as a part of my kids are on it. Uh, we're going to expand it to our program. And so, yeah, like, like absolutely. And the, the, the power of it is crazy. Um, and also I, I, I want to, there's two things that I want to touch on. One is that like we're getting our foundation like we, so we have watts basketball and then we have the watts foundation we're getting the foundation back up and rolling beyond the basketball portion of it uh, academic monitoring but the thing i'm really excited about is our employment and entrepreneurial incubator so many kids that want to play basketball specialize in it oftentimes it becomes a distraction from other things that they need to do and learn in their life even though we're teaching life skills right like holding a job showing up on time being employable teaching an entrepreneurial mindset we're, we're looking to partner with the community to raise some money for our entrepreneurial incubator uh, we're going to start two businesses um that kids will work one we've been talking to um uh, jeff silva up at, at hot wire um coffee and and flying apron about helping us create a mobile concession stand that'll be called slicks snack shack Right. And so kids will work that we'll take it to softball, soccer tournaments. We'll be down at the stadium. It'll be Sonics themed. You know, we'll sell some Sonics gear out of it and we'll have, you know, we'll teach the kids how to make, you know, all of that stuff. Make call. And then they'll have jobs that work with their schedules. They can train. They can work for three hours at a time, you know, and, and, and really teach them about business through that and, and lift some burden off of their families for those kids who, who can't afford the training or can't afford to get on the road. They can start taking care of that stuff on, on their own. And then the other one is uh, slick and clean auto detailing, 
which um, we're going to be teaching them about auto detailing and, and helping them understand through our business, like to make money, but then also how to form their own businesses so that the, these young people are starting to think in, in a business sense and how they can make a positive con contribution to the world and get paid for it at an early age. And there's a lot of money for you know, black organizations behind this Black Lives Matter. People are trying to uplift, uplift the community and stuff like that. And one of the things that, you know, I want our community, the black community that, you know, has a, a very interesting history in this country, to say the least, right? And, and, and a lot of people try to bury that into the history books. But my dad picked cotton. My mother went to jail for my right to vote. Right. And so I, I'm very privileged because of sacrifices that they made. And it's hard to hear people try to bury that. Like those things don't have an impact on me where I'm sitting right now because my dad played six years in the NBA like that now. So generations of racial inequality and whatever or race because he got a couple paychecks and I grew up in the Northwest. I don't think so. And it's disrespectful to my grandparents, my, you know, like my community, people look to, to, to do that. But one of the things I think that happens is like when we, when we protest and we're angry and we're upset and then we create change, I, I don't think there's a lot of organizations that are ready to go get the money to actually, you know, like we're, we're so stuck in out there protesting right that we haven't created a plan to actually go make an impact and like and to uplift other than to deal with the injustice right like and so one of the things that i'm passionate about and excited to build is to connect with businesses and organizations that have made that commitment you know what i mean but like maybe don't have somebody come in to get the the, the check <laughs> and then a plan to actually lift the tide right and so um excited about that uh and so i just wanted to share that Right. It's it's a most of what we talked about is, is what I've done and been doing. This is something that I'm excited about doing. Um, and then the last thing, man, is I, I wanted I wanted to share about kind of the impact that we can have and that we do have w through a, a kid that that, you know, that we've worked with. And uh, Kai, Kai uh, was a kid that was training with me and and. and the, our premise, Game Changers for Life, is that we don't know what challenges you're going to face in life. I didn't know I was going to deal with chronic fatigue syndrome. But the coaches and the mentors that I had before I dealt with that saved my life when I was dealing with that. The lessons that I learned from that allowed me to redirect my energy into a way that was positive and productive and for me to be the person that I am. And so that's what we try to do with what we do. Um, this kid, Kai, that was training with me, a friend of my son, um, I actually like ran him out of the gym because he wasn't serious about, you know, we trained for months at a time, a couple months or whatever. Uh, I had him when he was younger, but then when he was in high school, he came back. And I was just like, man, you're not, you're not serious about this. Like you're, you know, you're walking around, you're pouting, like this, is, this is not the right energy for here. Like you say, you want to do this, but your attitude and your approach to challenge the way that you're like, it, it, it just doesn't fit. Like, so we're done. And so about two years later, this guy, this kid about 19 years old, I'm doing a camp. He comes up to me and puts his arm around me. And he's like, coach, I just want to say thank you. And I'm like looking at him like, hey, man, like I didn't recognize him because he's like three years later. I hadn't seen him in a while. And he had grown a lot since I saw him last. 
He's like, I just want to say thank you. And I'm looking at him. He's like, it's Kai, man, Kai Prim. And I was like, oh, man, what, like, what's up? He said, I just want to say thank you for what you did for me. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, you know, I wasn't being serious. I wasn't being real about that. And, and, and like you telling me that and then, and then not allow me to go through, come through and go through the motions has changed my approach to how I deal with everything else. Like I loved basketball, but I wasn't respecting it. I wasn't treating it right. And I learned that by you being willing to say, nah, you know, no more. And so he's like, I, I appreciate that. And I was like, man, damn, okay. Like that's, that's big. His dad calls me like a year after that. And his dad calls and he's like, Hey man, I got something I want to talk to you about. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the road now I'm in Vegas. You know, it's a family deal. Um, I don't want to talk about it on the phone. Uh, but I'll call you when I get back. So I'm like immediately thinking that like he's going to divorce his wife. You know, he's in Vegas. He got some family stuff. He's going to divorce his wife or something like. And so later, like we never get together. And he called. He said, I'll just tell you on the phone, man. He's like, we went to the, you know, we went to the children's hospital uh, with Kai the other day, um, uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, and they gave this dude 30 days to live. He's like, he's got a rare form of cancer. He, you know, like. It is, you know, this is the deal. I'm like, damn, you know, I said, what's the deal? And he told me what the prognosis. Well, Kai was in, in the meeting with the, with, with the, and he was like, I'm not doing this. They wanted to amputate. They wanted to put him on chemo, amputate. He's like, and he walked out. He's like, I'm not, I'm not doing this deal. And and the parents are like, did you hear what they just said? He said, yeah, but I'm, I'm not, I'll rather just go, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of that. And then he's, he like later he was in pain and he said to his family, you know, I would be more comfortable if I saw people who look like me, if I had a black oncologist, but you know, like I, I would just something about it. Like I just feel more. And so they went through all of this stuff, trying to find, they find another clinic, some alternative therapy. They get a, a, a lady that's a, that's a black lady who deals with, with like black people who are going through like this is advisor or whatever. And so they go, get some alternative therapies. And basically Kai ended up, you know, just saying like what he was comfortable with, what he wasn't comfortable with, like, how if he was going to go, he wanted to go. And the cancer that he had, he's like like 2% survival rate. I, I would go by the house and check on him every now and then. One time I went by there and he was asleep. And he calls me the next day and he's groggy. He's on this chemo stuff. And he's like, coach, man, he's like, you know how you, he's like, it's crazy that you uh, stopped by yesterday because I was just thinking about you the day before. I didn't get a chance to see him because he was asleep. And I was like, oh, really? What about? He's like, no, you know how you you taught us to set goals and, and like, just take it a day at a time and the progress. He's like, yeah. He's like, I was just thinking about that. And I was like, okay, you know, like, cool. He's like, you know what my goal is? I was like, no, nah, you know, what is it? He's like to get back in the gym with you guys. <laughs> I was just like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Like instant, like, t like 2% chance of living. Now we're, he's like six months past the 30 day period, but he's been in his room for three months, you know what I mean? Going through the stuff, like just instant, you know, flow of tears. I was just like, holy, I mean, I couldn't get in the car by myself for a month without crying. Like you're on your deathbed and you're setting a goal. Your goal is to get back in the gym with us, right? Like what the hell? And then what? Six months later, you know, there's a bunch of stuff in between. But six months later, I get a call from his dad and he's like, hey, he made it. Like, he's clear of cancer. He's one of the two percent that survive it. You know what I mean? And, and he's like back at the gym shooting free throws. You know, it's just like 
like we when 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 we're working with kids and and we're preparing them and we're intentional about like this is not what we're preparing you for like this is what we're preparing you through right and the the, the idea that you're trying to make 40 out of 50 the idea that you're trying to uh, prepare to beat an opponent the idea that you're trying to prepare to earn a scholarship for us that's great because those are great challenges that you are motivated to work for toward and through but it's only like going to prepare you for the great challenges that life is going to present you and for me i just wanted to share that story because um there's no <laughs> greater challenge and in no way shape or form would i ever like think that i'm preparing somebody for the fight of their life you know what i mean or that in the middle of the fight of their life they'll be thinking about the process that we taught them but when you talk about the power of uh, positive thinking and positive mental. There's no like, whew, like that. That's the power of it. You know what I mean? And like, For I'm sure. talking about the fam and, and the family took the approach. They went vegan. They, you know, like they, they, they didn't like depend on the doctors. They like researched. They all went, you know, like they rallied around him. He had his team around him, and it was just it, like that's the power of positive mental because it changes your habits, right? It changes your, it's not just the, the thought, it's what the thought then leads to. Being in the habit of thinking positive is being in the habit of finding solutions and being in the habit of like not giving up and not quitting. And like, that's what I love, right? And like, that's what I'm attracted to and like, yeah. So that's why I'm honored to be here on this, on this, on, on, on this podcast. Right. So I just want to share those those couple things, man, before we got out of here. Thank you so now much. It's a tremendous, tremendous story and an incredible example. And and it's also a testament to like your great work. And I like I can't wait to see what Kai does with that experience, talking about like how, you know, you come from a struggle or you face a challenge and then you transmute that into your next phase of life or something even greater. I mean, he's gonna bring that experience into something amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. So now I need to go, That's now fantastic. I need to go get a tissue. Oh. <laughs> God damn it, Kai. <laughs> well, thank you, Donald. Thank you so much for, um, for spending this time. I know that your time is super valuable. It's been really great chatting with you. If people want to support all these new things that you've got coming up and they want to find out more about them, where can they uh, find uh, out? The watchfoundation.org. Um, is is uh, the new baby that it's not new, but it's the 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 what we're really excited about uh, coming up with. And then watchbasketball.com, of course, if you have kids um, anywhere from kindergarten through college that love the game or um, you know want to improve and, and, and connect with friends, uh, it's watchbasketball.com. Uh, and then you can follow me on uh, Twitter at DonaldWatch24, Instagram. Uh, Donald Watts, all that stuff, uh, and you'll be able to stay in touch with anything and everything we got going on. Thank you so much for spending this yeah, time. Thank you. We want to thank Donald Watts for his time and for trusting us to share his amazing story with you. This episode, including all music and sound design, was handcrafted by me, Matt Johnston, here at PMA headquarters in West Seattle, Washington. The play-by-play -play and color commentary for this podcast were provided by the legendary 
Kevin Calabro, and Marcus Johnson. You can find the print version of our interview with Donald in the sixth issue of our print magazine, including some truly powerful photography shot by one of our most dedicated contributors, Troy Nebaker. You can support us by heading over to getthatpma.com to pick up PMA6, subscribe to the magazine, or grab some very limited merchandise that we try to keep in stock because really it's the only way we can keep bringing you important stories like Donald's. So again, thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the PMA Podcast. Toodaloo! Toodaloo.